Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. We are glad to have Dr. Matt Williams with us again this evening. Appreciated his ministry this morning, the practicality of that. Looking forward to this evening as well. There is a handout. Did everybody get that when you came in? Does anybody need this? I think our ushers got that out to you. Great. We, very good. We've, as I mentioned this morning, I've known Dr. Williams for many years. I read his book, How to Be a Team Player and Enjoy It, when I was a youth pastor. Uh, we went through it with our leadership staff uh, chapter by chapter in, in our staff meetings this past year and have uh, benefited from that and have ordered a number of copies for our, our staff as well. Uh, but he's been involved in, in ministry for f- over 50 years. He served as a youth pastor, associate pastor, administrative uh, pastor. He's with uh, Tri-City Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, but has also worked with Christian education at multiple levels and is on the board for the American Association of Christian Schools. So I had asked if he would come and and, uh, help us be part of our in-service training for Tri-City Christian Academy, for International Baptist College and Seminary, and then for our our church staff. And so he is here for that. And so we're putting him to work both this morning and this evening and looking forward to the message he has for us tonight. Dr. Williams. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. I in enjoyed so enjoyed this morning uh, with you as we're talking about it I like to call it a biblical worldview Sunday and there's no way we can uh, uh, cover that topic in one day with a couple of messages but I think we get the idea that it's not as complex and sometimes it sounds like and I've put that kind of together for myself and actually now in ministry in what I like to call three life principles. Just to kind of review <clears throat> a little bit uh, from this morning, remember uh, we put on the PowerPoint there uh, having to do with uh, what faces the believer, what faces our churches today. That we live in a world of opposing values and live in a world with a very aggressive strategy telling us what we should be. And we're either going to adopt those values or going to reject those values. Our children are either going to adopt them or reject them. Even our grandchildren are going to adopt them or reject them. And uh, I hate to say it, but sometimes I think we adopt a little bit more than we even realize. And yet when we focus on the scriptures, uh, it really helps us as we looked at this morning, renewing our mind. And that was that fourth point. In order to reject the world's values, we must be equally aggressive. As they get more aggressive with their agenda, we must be more aggressive with what God has for his plan for our life. And so that's how we started this morning. And we looked at this first, what I call life principle of let your purpose prioritize your life. I hope you were able to pick up one of those sheets on the way out this morning. And actually it has two life principles, the one from this morning, and it has five passages of scriptures. I've even filled in the outline for you. So it's already filled in. Didn't have to do that yourself. And then there's a second life principle, which we're going to at least approach tonight. We can't uh, cover at length, but there's five passages of Scripture that have to do with that. And then I did promise you something this morning. Uh, By the way, out there at the table as well, got a little uh, bookmark. Feel free to go ahead. Looks like quite a few of them left this morning. But it just has some reminders there. First of all, as we talk about having a biblical worldview or a biblical focus for our life, number one, we need to think biblically. It's got a couple of passages of Scripture that have to do with that. That would be good to be review ourselves or even as a couple or as a family. Uh, maybe some table talk sometime in the near future. And then the second, live godly. And some scriptures having to do with that. One of them is Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7, where it says, The trust in the Lord, and it says, and do good. And it says to dwell there and feed on his faithfulness. I've really lived in that passage for the last uh, few years. It's been a great encouragement and challenge to me because there was a time a few years ago when our ministry was uh, 
when I came back to Kansas City uh, from Northland, and actually our ministry was $10 million in debt. And even though I knew I needed to trust the Lord, I didn't really feel like it because things weren't going so well. And yet when I would see you need to dwell there, trusting in him and the feed on his faithfulness. And when I would look back on God's faithfulness, that would really help me to feed on that. And of course, then besides trusting in the Lord, it talks about the light in your Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He'll bring it to pass and then rest in the Lord. And in my Bible, I just uh, underneath that, I put relax. Don't react. In other words, when situations come up, uh, relax, don't react. Respond biblically to the situations that come along. So, And then serve God and others faithfully. And on the back, it has the scriptures of the Great Commandment and uh, from Matthew 22 and the Great Commission. So just some things, and it's got our website and so forth on there. So you can pick one of those up. But I did promise tonight that I would uh, have a book for each home, and I think we can do that. Looks like some have already uh, gone out. It's on the table there. It's this blue book. It says, Focus on Winning in Life. And this is the life principle from this morning, the five passages of Scripture of the let your purpose prioritize your life. Now, again, there's many more passages, but these have been key ones in my life. And so each chapter is another passage, the same ones that are on this sheet. And yet there's writing about it. I wrote about it. And uh, how from meditating on that passage, what it meant to me. And then I got an idea from a publisher about having somebody else give a little summary of what that passage means to them. So we did that in there as well. So it's a small booklet, but there's a lot packed in here, five passages of Scripture, five chapters. But then what we did is uh, the next two years, uh, Life Principle Number 2, which we're going to cover tonight. And I wrote a book. These were follow-ups for our student leadership conferences that I've headed up for over 30 years now for the American Association of Christian Schools. We also do them for youth groups and so forth. And so the book's called Let Your Light Shine, but it's the life principle of Be Different on Purpose. Five passages of Scripture that go along with that. They're the same ones that are listed on that sheet from this morning. And so that was the second year. And then during uh, COVID, uh, I wrote a third life principle, Let Your Purpose Clarify Your Choices. And the name of the little booklet, Five Passages of Scripture, Choosing with Purpose. So what we did uh, the first year, and I hope this doesn't confuse things, but we put these two together. This was uh, two summers ago. We put these two together in a what we call a focus pack. And I have a few of those out there. I didn't bring many of those because I brought most of them with the three booklets in there. But uh, it has the... Um, it has these two booklets, the first two life principles, and then it has another booklet where I did some more study on those same passages, and it's a scripture meditation program is what it is, and it tells you how to do that and focus on the scripture, and what I did is I tested it that summer, two summers ago, with 30 older teens and college students, and had them, they took one passage a week during the summer for 20 weeks, and besides their own Bible reading and so forth, they would focus on that packet, on that passage of Scripture for a week. They'd read it every day, and then they'd meditate on that. What should that look like? How can I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not into my own understanding? Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And uh, on and on with the other passages of Scripture. So we put that together in what we call a focus packet. And then last summer, at the end of summer, we by that time had the third booklet and we put them together. And this is what I have mostly out there, the three booklets. So you're getting one tonight, but it has the two other booklets and we call it a foundation packet. So these three are packaged in this nice little wrapper and uh, don't try to get them out of there without if you want to put them back in because it, once they're out, I don't know how my administrative assistant gets them in there, but she does. But once they're out, it's hard to get them back in there. But uh, this is our foundation pack, so it's got all three of these booklets in there. So normally $20, uh, $20 worth of books for $10, if that could be a help to you. All I'm trying to do is to help people be more aggressive in renewing our minds 
and really focus on what God would have for our lives. So just wanted to mention those things that are out there. You pretty well cleaned me out of the different books that I brought. Uh, and I've got, but I've got a few of those still out there this evening. And so I wanted to mention those. Let me just read and just, this is what excites me and what really keeps me going uh, in, in really seeking to try to help ministries and try to help uh, families as, as far as really letting our purpose prioritize our life. Let me just read, this was from, I do some camps in the summer where I do student leadership training. And here's a couple of, uh, after we had had some training, about 15 hours in the first week, and then they become operational staff. Here's what a couple of the, uh, those that were attending said. It says, after this week, I have learned that I really have not lived my life for Christ and that I have not been different on purpose. Principle we're going to cover tonight. During the remainder of team and after, I am going to start praying more and reading my Bible every day. Thank you so much for the week. It's been a very eye-opening. And then here's another one. The Lord helped me to see that what our focus is on in life determines how we live. If we're truly aiming to glorify God in every part of our life, as he commands, and of course that's our purpose in life, to glorify him. All that we do should filter through the goal of letting our purpose prioritize our life. And then let me just read one more here. This week I have realized that I have been just trying to do right instead of starting with what I believe. In other words, I was not letting my purpose prioritize my life. My choices didn't follow because they weren't based on my true purpose of glorifying God, growing in Christ-likeness. So that's just what a, a few of older teens, some of them graduates from high school, uh, from this, uh, just a, that was actually from July, a uh, uh, camp that I was doing there. And I would just say for myself, and I guess this has become uh, such a passion with me because uh, what I, I, I tell people sometimes, I say, now what happens with me when I first wake up in the morning? is the first thing that comes to mind, and then I've had to stop recently and say, now, wait a minute, first thing that enters my mind when I wake up in the morning is, where am I? It's like, this, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in Arizona. Okay, then, where's the bathroom? Oh, yeah, okay, now I know where that is. And uh, now I can get, but as soon as that's over, I really do, the first thing that enters my mind is, what's my purpose today? Okay, I've got my to-do list. I know things that I'm going to be involved in. Uh, but what is my real purpose to bring glory to God, to grow in Christ's likeness? And I start actually going through these passages. I've done it for a little while now, and so they'll come to my mind immediately. I'll go through principle number, uh, life principle number one with the five passages. And then I'll even go through uh, life principle number two as I'm starting to get ready for the day and so forth. And it helps me to focus on what life is really all about, no matter what I'm going to be involved in uh, that particular day. And so that's just a, uh, a key, and I just go ahead and mention that. So let's go ahead and look at the outline that we have before us tonight. It's actually called setting a, setting a spiritual atmosphere in your school. So if you look at the front uh, portion of that, and uh, that was uh, as we talked about different uh, possibilities of messages and I went over those with Pastor, and then he talked with the uh, different staff and so forth and come up with the messages. And so that was the one, since I think we were here for in-service, so it's setting a spiritual atmosphere in your school. But you know what? It's not just for school. These five principles that we're going to look at this evening, just some principles from Scripture, could really be helpful to us in being a true winner in life in the church as well. So if you want to even cross that out about setting a spiritual atmosphere in your school, it could even be setting a spiritual atmosphere in your church. And so uh, we could do that. So let's go ahead and look at these this evening. And I'm just going to start walking through them. A little bit of it will be review, but then we're going to get into one passage in particular tonight. But first of all, so you've got the first bullet here. And let me go ahead and uh, get these going. Uh, two pillars, by the way, for Christian education. And the first pillar is to have a biblical worldview. Have our purpose. Why are we here? And as believers, this is how we should think. This should be our focus. 
This morning we were asking ourselves the question, do I have a biblical focus? And from Romans 12, what we see that there were four different areas of distinction that we have. We have a different goal. That's to present ourselves back to God as a living sacrifice. We have a different authority. That's renewing our mind. And that's what we do through the scriptures. And then third one uh, was different actions and attitude. Pleasing God versus pleasing self. That was the word transformed from Romans 12 to not to be conformed to the world around us, but to be transformed by renewing our mind. And then the fourth one, uh, different way of handling problems. And the word was proved that we might prove God's perfect will for our life. As we seek to handle the situations in life, even the hard ones from a biblical standpoint. So that's biblical worldview. But then there's ministry mindset. That's getting our focus off of ourselves and on to other people. And you know what? That's really, I believe, the focus. And I would say two pillars that we should have in our lives, in our families, and definitely in, in our church. Uh, as we really seek to be what God has intended us to be as Christians in the world around us. So with that in mind, let's go ahead. Here's number one. Hey, that one sounds familiar, doesn't it? Let your purpose prioritize your life. I'm not going to look at Philippians 2, but let me just refer to it uh, for a moment. And uh, what does it tell us in there? It says, look not on your own things, but also on the things of others. And then it says, let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, 5, which was in Christ Jesus. In other words, have the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? Well, it says in the next couple of verses, he made himself a no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, which was God's purpose and plan for him to die on the cross for our sins. And that was his purpose in life. Our purpose is to glorify God, grow in Christ-likeness as we looked at. Now, let me just ask you something. As we talk just a little bit about meditation of Scripture, though, uh, let me just uh, ask you a question here this evening. To uh, Anybody here ever heard of the five-finger grip as far as the Bible is concerned? You ever heard of that before? Uh, that was something that I learned early in my Christian life. I believe it actually came from the navigators. But what they would talk about is, you know, there's five applications. First of all, we hear the Word of God. And of course, that's what we do when we come to church and we hear the Word of God. What does the Scripture say? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. And that's great. But you know, if all we do is hear the Word of God, you know, we can put the one finger on it, but that's not much of a grip, is it? In fact, I have to use the other hand to hold it up. But then not only hearing the Word of God, but that wasn't that second. What second? Reading the Word of God. And we should be involved in the Word of God each and every day ourselves to uh, really get the focus on what is my purpose, to remind myself there. Because we have this aggressive strategy from the world around us, and we're going to be in the world but we're not to be of the world, according to John chapter 17. In fact, in John 17, Christ was praying for his disciples. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so it's so important. So you got hearing the word of God as well as reading the word of God. Now you got two fingers on the Bible. And it's still, I might be able to have a little bit of a balance, but I sure don't have much of a grip yet. Then is what studying the Word of God. That's the third finger, studying the Word of God. And that's important as we look into the Scriptures and what God says for us to really seek to be able to do that as we grow in the Lord. And then there's that fourth. Now we're down to four fingers, and yeah, I have a pretty decent balance now. That's memorizing the Word of God. But you know what? To really get a grasp and a grip on the Word of God, it's meditating on the Word of God. And what does it say in Joshua 1.8? This book of law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate therein day and night, that you'll make your way prosperous and be successful. You won't turn from it to the right or to the left, uh, meditating on the Word of God. And so meditating, really focusing on, okay, what should this look like? How can we apply this 
And this is what I'm really seeking to do as we had these booklets and we wrote these follow-ups for leadership training, because so often what would happen in training, I would have uh, students and even sponsors sometimes come up to me, boy, this was great. Man, God really worked in my heart. I can't wait till next year to come back yet. But the idea wasn't to wait until next year to the next conference. No, the idea was, hey, let's take it and how can we make application? So I began writing these follow-up books, but what I found it was great for follow-up for the students and even for the sponsors, and maybe they could even use them for follow-up in their youth groups and their schools and so forth. But at the same time, uh, you know what? In our churches, and that's where began to share. In fact, I have these three books. In fact, uh, I'm in a different series right now, but the last three series I was teaching in my equipped class in our church have been these three books and I co-teach with uh, a good friend of mine uh, co-chairman of the deacons and um, and so when I'm not there he's uh, teaching it he had uh, this morning and so we kind of worked that out together and so forth but uh, anyway all this I'm saying is to let our purpose prioritize our life let's go on to the second one here to be different on purpose remember that was the second one that we looked at this morning right at the beginning when we looked at that life principle. And there's many passages that we could look at, but I love Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Again, we're going to look at another passage here in a minute, just for time's sake. But what does it tell us in Matthew 5? It says, you are the salt of the earth. It doesn't say try to be salt. It doesn't say someday you'll be salt. But it says, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are the salt. And you ever think about salt? It's a seasoning, isn't it? We've probably heard messages on this before. It's a flavor enhancer, and that's what we are to be, is a flavor enhancer. I don't know about you, I like to put salt on watermelon. Anybody here put salt on watermelon? Yeah, I normally get about three hands. That's well, a little bit better than that. Maybe I got four. <laughs> my family thinks that's the strangest thing in the world. First of all, I couldn't convince my wife of putting salt on watermelon. And I say, well, it's a flavor enhancer. She said, it already tastes good. And yeah, but it even tastes better. And I learned that years ago when I was a kid. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And for vacation, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a mail carrier. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so every summer for vacation when I was a little guy... We would go to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where Uncle Ward and Aunt Billy lived. Yeah, Aunt Billy, she was just one of those southern bells. And there wasn't a whole lot to do in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, but they did grow a lot of watermelons down that way. So what we would do in the evening, everybody, it seemed like in Pine Bluff, would go to the watermelon stand. They had these stands set up with, with tables, and you'd go. And sometimes they even asked you if you wanted a hunk, not a piece, but a hunk of melon. And so they'd give you your hunk, and then they'd give you two things. First of all, they'd give you a salt shaker. Secondly, they'd give you a straw. Because you'd put your salt on the watermelon to make it taste better. And secondly, then when you were finished, you'd just slurp up the juice with the straw. Now, I kind of put that on the side there after a while, but uh, that's how I learned to eat watermelon, and it's still with me today as far as the salt. I think I'm finally almost convincing one grandchild out of the 19 to uh, put some salt on watermelon, but I haven't done real well with my family. But anyway, for me, it's a flavor enhancer. What else is salt? It's a preservative, isn't it? Heard of meat packed in salt, and it can be preserved for a long time. That's what we are. We're a preservative of what life should be, what life was intended to be by our God, following Him. Thirdly, it's a cleansing agent. And, you know, you can even treat a wound. If you don't have anything else, uh, salt will disinfect, at least temporarily. Now, it'll sting, but it, it'll disinfect. But what does salt do? It's a, if you eat something real salty, what happens? You get real what? Thirsty. And I shared my testimony this morning. That's exactly what happened in my life. I wanted what this young lady had. And I had organized religion. 
And by the way, I grew up learning that you go to church to fulfill your religious obligation. That's what I learned growing up. That's what they taught me in religion class, in catechism class. But you know, now that I'm a believer, once I put my faith and trust in God, I don't go to fulfill a religious obligation. I go to worship my God. I go to learn, to grow, and see, because of our purpose of glorifying God, we're to be different, distinct. And of course, light, light illuminates. Light gives direction. And I love verse 16. What does it say? Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. But it doesn't stop there, folks, does it? See your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That brings us right back to what God's purpose is. So, to be different on purpose. Let me give you a third principle. So, you've got those two. We talked about those a little bit this morning. But I want to give you a third one. Be a minister or be a servant. Let's look in the book of Mark. Let's look at the book of Mark. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. And if you'll turn to the back of your notes, back sheet of it, we're going to uh, have you fill in a few blanks that can be a help. But let's even start in chapter 9. So Mark 9, and let's look at verses 33 through 35. It says, When he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Isn't it interesting? Here's the disciples, the guys that left all, and they're following Jesus. They see him perform the miracles. They hear his teaching. They've been with him. I mean, they've, they've forsaken all in their minds. And yet, even the disciples could get sidetracked. And here they are, kind of quarreling among themselves on the way to Capernaum. Hey, who's the greatest? And they didn't know Christ was hearing them, but he was. And he asked, well, what, what were you disputing? What were you, you know, quarreling about back there? And it was, who's the greatest? Look at chapter 10 and look starting in verse number 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is mine to get, is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. And an interesting, look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they began to be very displeased with James and John. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say. Why were they displeased? Were they displeased because they were asking to sit on the right and the left hand of Christ? Or maybe they were displeased because they hadn't thought of it. Well, they'd like to sit at the right and the left. Doesn't say. But you know, what happens is then Christ sits them down and he teaches. Look at verses 42 through 45. And this is the passage for be a servant or be a minister. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those which are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. So in other words, you want to be great? Be a servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me give you just a few notes on this as we really meditate on this particular pa passage. I like to call it a different kind of greatness. And let's just look at a different kind of greatness that we have. See, we've looked at let your purpose prioritize your life and to be different on purpose. But you know, 
God says he wants us to be servant of all. So let's look at it. First of all, what's man's perception of greatness? Well, it's given to us in verse number 42. See, he says that what? Uh, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority. See, man's perception, power. Talked about that a little bit this morning. See, he uses force to dominate. Secondly, popularity. He uses fame to manipulate. And we even see that with the disciples, these guys who had left all and followed him and wanted to learn and wanted to grow. And yet they were still getting distracted from time to time. Why? Because they were in the world even though they were not of the world. But what does it say in John 17 that we're sent to the world? And he was trying to teach them what is really true greatness. Well, it's a different kind of greatness than the average person thinks is greatness. So that's verse 42. But what does it say, verse 43 through 44? Scripture's principle of greatness. First of all, be a minister. That's the word the King James uses. A lot of translations use the word servant. It comes from D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S, which means a humble servant who sacrifices himself for the needs of other people. Be a humble servant who sacrifices himself for the needs of other people. Wow. Then in verse 44, it says, for those, and let me say, let me read it just how it is here. In verse number 44, whoever of you desires to be first shall be a bond slave. It says in the New King James here, a slave of all. And there's the Greek word. And it's a bond slave that can only obey his master. And he has no rights of his own. So if we're, we might want to call it leadership. We said this morning we're all leaders, one way or another. We have influence in the lives of other people. We're to be a bond slave. We really don't have rights of our own. We're to present ourselves, as we saw in Romans this morning, back to God as a living sacrifice. And how can I be a blessing to other people? So, true greatness is leading by serving others. A true servant will never lack for a ministry because there's always room at the bottom. My friend Ken Collier, who co-authored the book, uh, Biblical Leadership, and we had fun doing that together after having conferences, both of us, uh, for a few years. People wanted us to put in print things that we were teaching. And so we got together and, and put the book together. And he often called it carpet-mindedness. In other words, a true servant is carpet-minded. You ever think about a carpet? What's its function? Everybody walk all over it. <laughs> But it provides a function, doesn't it? And it serves the people. And uh, guess what? There's always room at the bottom. Because so many people are trying to get to the top. Trying to call the shot. Trying to tell other people what to do. And, uh, but that's not true greatness. True greatness is leading by serving others. Now, Christ's pattern. And here's passages that I, to me, I call these the three key passages for what we often call servant leadership. But Philippians chapter 2, which we briefly touched on here this evening. John chapter 13, which we'll look at here in a minute. And then also this passage in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 uh, through 45. There's many other passages, but those are great passages. And here's what it's saying about true greatness. First of all, Christ was submissive. He was submissive to his God, for God's purpose and plan for his life. He became obedient unto death. He endured the cross, even despising the shame that he might bring us to God. He was sensitive to the needs of others. We'll look at these in just a moment here. And then thirdly, he was sacrificial. 
submission, sensitivity to others. Wow, what should that look like? Well, we're going to look at a couple of other principles that really bring that out here in just a moment. But see, it's been said that the man who dies with the most toys wins. But that's not really true. The man who dies with the dirtiest towel as we serve, he actually wins in God's mind because true greatness is being a humble servant who sacrifices himself for the needs of others. Now, what should that look like? Let's go back here. I'm going to go back to my other principles that I had up there. So apologize for jumping back. But uh, let's go back to be a minister. And let's go to a fourth one. And I'm going to call that walk slowly through the crowd. I love that principle. I use it a lot. In fact, I used it so much that some people think I coined it, but I really didn't. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not exactly certain. I think I might have gotten it from John Maxwell. I'm not sure. But I love it because it really comes from Matthew chapter 9. And what does it say in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36? Here was Christ in Matthew 9. And he's in the villages and he's teaching the people and he's performing miracles. And he's doing all these things. And then in verse 36 it says, But when he saw the multitudes, as they really were, sheep without a shepherd, it says he was moved with what? Compassion. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad. And that's really what it means to walk slowly through the crowd. It doesn't just mean you walk slow and be late to everything. Hey, how come you were late today? Well, I was just walking through the crowd. No, it doesn't mean that. But as we're about our responsibilities, whatever they might be, in our home, how can we walk slowly through the crowd and be sensitive to the needs of other people? As we get ready to go to work, and we're going to be around other people, some Christians, many non-Christians, how can we walk slowly through the crowd and be sensitive to needs? Is someone going through a difficulty? Maybe they've got a wife in the hospital or maybe a child, a child that's going through some real physical difficulties or maybe even uh, some rebellion. And how can we be a help to them? Let them know that we pray for them. We could even pray with them. And I've never been refused when I asked somebody if I could pray with them about a need. But as we are on our way, whether it's in the home or whether it's at work or even at church, as we're getting ready for church, as we've been coming in, and I remember for years as we would be bringing our family to church, we'd be praying that uh, together, that Lord help us to worship you today. We want to worship you and we want to learn, we want to grow. But Lord, as we're a church today, help us to be conscious of the needs of somebody else. I was just mentioning to the teachers the other day about a friendly interrogation with our kids, you know, when they were growing up. And they'd come home from church and, hey, uh, how was Sunday school? Good. It was always good. That's great. What was it about? Jesus. Okay, that's great. And, uh, but then here was the little friendly interrogation. Who'd you sit by? Did you just sit by your good friends or was there anybody new there? Was there maybe a guest, a visitor that you could sit by? Well, yeah. Back in those days when some of our kids were growing up, we had a pretty good-sized bus ministry. And sometimes I'd hear reports, well, I did try to sit by somebody, but he hit me. Well, well hey, I'm glad you tried. And we moved and okay. Well, if he's back next week, try it again. Maybe he won't hit you that time. Because we were trying to teach our children to be sensitive to others and their needs. And how could we have a ministry to others? And uh, we wanted to instill that even at a young age. But you know, I don't care what our age is. This is a great principle. See, when Jesus saw the multitudes as they were, he was moved with compassion. Compassion does, doesn't happen by, Lord, give me compassion. God help me today to be compassionate to somebody that might have a need. Very important principle. Let me give you the last one here 
as we close. And that's from John chapter 13 to wash dirty feet. Let's turn to that. I think we've got time that we can go ahead and close with that. John chapter 13. Love this passage of Scripture. Starting in verse number 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Now go down to verse number 12, just for time's sake. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me master or teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And I love verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Let's just go ahead and uh, finish it up here with, uh, I want to give you four words to put down under this. First of all, I want you to put the word submissive. We wrote it on the back of the sheet, but uh, there was submission. Christ submitted himself to all. Secondly, he was sensitive. In this passage, he saw the need. They hadn't washed their feet, and that was the custom of the day. And for whatever reason, it doesn't really say, they hadn't washed their feet, and he saw this. And instead of getting somebody to go and wash their feet, he was the teacher and master. He went around, and he washed their feet. And he said, I've given you an example. And just as I've done to you, you're to do one another. See, he was sacrificial. So submission sensitivity and then sacrifice for other people and then I love the last one and that's a satisfied spirit he said if you know these things happier you if you do them let me close with a with an illustration that to me was a classic it's kind of a personal one because it happened to my son so my oldest son is a few years back now he's a pastor in Edmonton Alberta Canada now but uh, he was a senior in high school and back in those days, we had this baseball program in our church. And we had this baseball league, and we had these uh, four uh, baseball fields across the street from our property. And uh, we had this program, and it, was, it wasn't just for our church. It was open to boys, I think, ages 5 through 16 in the community. And all the coaches were from our church, and they would have a little devotion at the practice, and they'd have prayer. And uh, I think, quote, first... Uh, Corinthians 10:31 before the game but other than that it was pretty much baseball but anyway they were getting ready for another season and the guy who was running the program came to me and he said you know I'm one coach short he said I've got all my coaches we've got about 400 boys in the program but he said I need another coach for a six through eight year old uh, uh, team and he said I was thinking about Kevin you think he'd be able to uh, coach for me this summer and I said oh I'm sure he'd love to but I said, he's actually got a pretty busy summer. He was just graduating, and he was going off to college in the, in, in the fall, and he had a lot of things. He was going to be on a couple of mission trips and just different things even in the summer. Uh, and I said, he's going to be gone quite a bit, and so I'm not sure if he'd be able to fulfill it, but why don't you ask him? So that night, Kevin came home and said, hey, I was asked by uh, Mr. Garrison if I you know, would like to uh, coach the team. And he said, what do you think, Dad? And so we kind of looked at the calendar of what things were coming up and wow he was going to be gone here and there and so finally we well guess it's not going to work out and uh and then he said you know what what about andy and he had this friend named andy and andy uh was a couple years younger than him he said actually andy's a better baseball player than i am anyway but he said what if we co coached and i think he said Andy's going to be here all summer and when i'm not here he could still continue on the coach and I said hey great check back uh, you know with the guy who's heading up the program and, and see and sure enough that's what happened uh, Kevin and Andy began to be coaches of this team of this little these little boys and I remember the first practice I wasn't there but uh, he came home and we were around the dinner table I said well how'd practice go tonight and he said dad pretty good and some of those guys are really good ball players and so he's talking about that a little bit and then all of a sudden he said but Oh, Dad, there's this one guy. 
Man, this one little kid, he's terrible. He said he doesn't, you know, doesn't know how to throw, throw like a girl, whatever that means. And, uh, you know, every time he was up to bat, he struck out. And, uh, you know, if somebody threw a ball to him, I mean, it would hit him in the stomach or it hit him someplace, but not in the glove. And he said, and then some of the boys would laugh, and I know I'm not supposed to laugh as the coach, but it was kind of funny at times. And So anyway, and uh, I said, well, because I didn't know a lot of the boys. They weren't from our church, all of them, somewhere. But I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? And he gave the name. The name sounded kind of familiar to me. And I said, well, uh, what does he look like? And he described him, and I said, you know, I think I know who he is, Kevin. I said, there's a single mom that's been coming recently to our church, and she's got a little boy about that age. And he said, well, there was this lady that brought him down. Actually, most of the guys, it was a dad that was there. And I said, describe the lady, and he did, and I said, that's him. I said, you and Andy are going to have a great time uh, working with all the boys, but you have an opportunity. He doesn't have a, a dad like you to be able to, you know, play catch with him in the backyard and make the, you know, all-American ball player that you are. I mean, he didn't, you know, he doesn't have that. And uh, just kidding when I said that. But uh, I said, you guys are having a great opportunity. And so sure enough, they started working with the boys. And, and they, I'd even see them from time to time. I wasn't down there all the time, but from time to time, I'd see them. Uh, maybe get them there a little bit early and see if they could pick him up, uh, he and Andy, and, and work with the boy and try to get him up to speed where he could at least be uh, a participant. One of the rules of the game is everybody had to play in every game. It wasn't like you just sit on the, the bench and every boy had to bat uh, for different times during the game. And so I'll never forget one night. I'm down there. Actually, my daughters were running the concessions stand that night. And I'm there helping them and so forth. And I, it was kind of a slow night. And I heard all this commotion going on in one of the diamonds. And so I just uh, said, hey, I'm going to go over here. So I went over there. And it was Kevin and Andy's team playing, one of the other teams. And this boy that I'm describing, who couldn't do much of anything right, he had just hit the ball for the first time. And the place was going nuts. I mean, everybody. And they had played these teams before, so it wasn't just the team that he was on. It was even the other team that was happy for him. Everybody's cheering for him. He had hit the ball, but he had never hit the ball before. He didn't know what to do. And people are saying, run! And he started, you know, I mean, he's jumping up and down because he's excited he did something. But uh, he started, he actually, he literally started running the third base. And people are saying, no, don't go that way, go that way. And so he's turning around, he's running down the first, and we're all, you know, hoping that he's going to make it. And he gets to first base, and everybody's cheering. But instead of going into foul territory and then come back, he kind of turned to the left, and now he's between first and second. He's still jumping up and down because he uh, hit the ball. And finally, somebody threw the ball into the first baseman, and he tagged him out. In fact... People, I mean, I thought we were going to have a lynch mob on our hand because the kid tagged him. In fact, his mom was sitting not far from me who tagged him out. And, you know, why did she mad at her son because he tagged him out? But that's what he was supposed to do. But you know, that little kid didn't care. Now, he's still jumping up and down, going back to the dugout. He was out, but he had done something good. But you know, the story doesn't end there. Because they had a great season, actually. They ended up uh, winning the championship. I think there were like eight teams in this division, and uh, they won the championship. And I'd love to say that that little boy was MVP and all that, but no, none of that happened. I just remember he hit the ball one time. That's all I ever saw. But it doesn't end there. Because my son went off to Christian college that fall. And he comes back uh, right before Christmas. I think he got home on a Saturday. And we are there on Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he, uh, I'm, I'm just walking down to, uh, to my class that I'm going to be teaching. And people going down there, and here comes my son in to go to the college class. He's walking in the door, and as he walks in, here comes this little boy. That boy I talked to you about, that Andy and Kevin had given quite a bit of time to. And he comes running up to Kevin. And Kevin's six foot three, I believe. I know six two or six three. And he just hugs him around the kneecap. There's little kids looking up at him, and I'm trying not to be too conspicuous watching over here. I know Kevin felt a little conspicuous, uh, but this kid's hanging on to him. And as I walked by, I heard the little boy say, Kevin, I missed you. And you know, I'm not a mind reader, 
But I looked at my son, and I think I know what he was thinking. Wow, Andy and I had a great summer. Andy and I got to work with these little boys, and we've got some new friends. And here's a little guy that missed me while I was gone this fall. And you know, I saw satisfaction and the joy of serving all about him. See, the principle is to wash dirty feet. And in a sense, he and Andy had done that and put a lot of time in with them. But wow, here was a little boy who missed him and was so excited to see his coach back from college. Now, that's been years ago. As I already mentioned, my son's a pastor uh, today. Andy's actually a pastor. He's a, he was in evangelism. Some of you might know him, Andy Gleiser and uh, Morris Gleiser's son, and they grew up together. And you know, I don't think the only reason that those two guys ended up in ministry was because of that ball team, but I think it was one of them. And as we give of ourselves and see the joy of giving of ourselves and the submission and the sensitivity and the sacrifice that goes into it, guess what? As a result of all of that, See, if you know these things about being a biblical servant, happy are you as you do them. And that's really what it's all about. When I think of another school year, wonderful opportunities for the administration and the staff to serve not just the students, but those parents who are giving their children over. And what a ministry you have to them. Your preschool who works every day with, uh, with folks and what an outreach and what a wonderful time. I've seen so many blessings through that particular ministry over the years. And I could go on and on, but then in the church, even as you're starting to rev up, so to speak, and get things ready about ministries that you could be involved in for fall. Folks, see, first of all, we're to let our purpose prioritize our life and to be different. Not just thinking of self, but we are to give ourselves back to God and others. And then to be that servant, be that minister, and to walk slowly through the crowd. And even at times, we're washing dirty feet that maybe some other people don't want to take the time with. But those are the ones, those projects. So I believe that every person, I've gotten this from one of my mentors, Les Ola, and he said every person needs three people in their life. They need, first of all, a Paul, somebody that they're learning from. They need a pal. That's somebody they can be accountable to and have that iron sharpening iron impact. And I'm not just talking about a spouse. My best friend is my wife. But I need some male friends that I can be accountable to and try to sharpen one another. We need a Paul. We need a pal. And guess what? We need a project. Somebody that we can invest in. And that's when life really gets exciting. Let me have a word of prayer and I'll turn it over to Pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the time these dear folks tonight uh, that are back on this. It is a Lord's Day, and we're thankful for them and their faithfulness. And pray that all of us might just be reminded of these simple principles which you lay out in your word where we can be true winners as a result. And we'll thank you and praise you for what's done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.